Australia Explained, keeping you on top of all things down under. In this episode of Australia Explained, we break down exactly what is an asylum seeker, what type of opportunities they have in Australia, and talk about a few of the myths surrounding the issue. Hello everyone, my name is Tanya Ragusa. And I'm Vanessa Di Grazia. And welcome to yet another ep of Australia Explained. We'd like to start, as always, by acknowledging that we're recording this podcast on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nations and pay our respects to their elders past, present and future. Right, now today's episode is our first episode in our two-part series on asylum seekers. It's probably one of, if not the most, contentious issues in Australian politics, particularly in recent years, but it's also an issue that spans back many, many decades. I'm sure a few of our listeners are very familiar with the rhetoric of Pauline Hanson and how she seems to be targeting a different ethnic group of immigrants every decade or so. Just to change it up. Oh, it it changes every decade. But it's also a topic that you're very passionate about and you've worked in this too. So do you want to tell our listeners a little bit about your experience, Vanessa? Yeah, so this was a major focus of my degree, like multicultural studies and immigration in all of its forms. And I used to work at the Asylum Seeker Resource Centre, which helps out asylum seekers that have been forgotten about by the government in a lot of ways. So um, yeah, I've worked in the sector and it's really close to my heart, something I'm very passionate about. Yeah, border seems to be a huge issue in Australia, which is funny seeing as we have some of the most secure borders in the world. We're literally surrounded by ocean, but mm. we still think it's really, really important. And there's lots of misinformation around asylum seekers, etc. So really keen to bring you this series. Um, next week, we'll be talking about offshore detention. So if you're listening throughout this episode thinking, oh, but what about those little islands that they house all the refugees in? Like, we'll get there. Don't worry. Yeah, this episode is going to be breaking down a lot of the key language and just making sure that we've got all the different definitions down pat before we move on. So let's get started. Okay, firstly, what makes someone a refugee or an asylum seeker? So a refugee is a person who's fled their country because of a valid fear of persecution, war or violence and is therefore entitled to international protection. So, for example, Syrians fleeing the civil war that's erupted in their country are refugees. Um, Members of the LGBT plus community that have left a dangerously homophobic Nigeria are refugees. The Rohingya people that are caught in Myanmar, a place that doesn't recognise their kind of Muslims as citizens, are refugees. And in terms of an an asylum seeker, an asylum seeker is just a person who's seeking to become a refugee. They're still going through all the processes and procedures that will decide whether their reason to leave their home country is valid or not. So every refugee begins as an asylum seeker. Hmm, It's a starting point. In terms of the history, after World War II, there was obviously a rush of refugees pouring out of Europe to all over the world and countries didn't really know how to handle it. So in 1951, 145 countries, including Australia, got together at the United Nations to sign the Refugee Convention. And in the Refugee Convention, they agreed on that definition of a refugee we just talked about and also two very important protections. So firstly, you can't send refugees back to a place they might be persecuted. They can't. You can't send them back home. 
No, it doesn't make sense. <laughs> Makes sense. No sense. Um, and secondly, you can't punish refugees for entering a country illegally. I say in air quotes, illegally. Um, that is to say without permission or with false documents. And this is because in a lot of instances, entering the proper way is impossible. I mean, you can't ask a Rohingya person to file for a passport with the Burmese government and just hop on a plane to Australia. Mm. This part of the treaty understands that refugees sometimes desperately need to leave their homes in whatever way possible. Yeah, and they might not have the resources as well to leave legally. So it's not illegal to be an asylum seeker. Absolutely not. It's actually clearly outlined in international law that it is legal. So phrases like illegal entry or unlawful refugees actually make no legal sense. What about the terms queue jumpers or boat people? Both are pretty derogatory terms against refugees and asylum seekers that have been popular in the media in the past. I feel like they're losing traction now. Yeah, a little bit. Um, But a queue jumper is used to describe an asylum seeker that arrives without documents. And it's kind of infers that they're cheating the system. You know, they're jumping the queue in front of genuine refugees who have completed all the right forms. But as we said earlier, not all countries allow citizens to legally apply. So this term isn't really fair. And boat people's pretty self-explanatory asylum seekers that arrive in boats. Yeah, so just some language to clarify because it's not all valid and true. Okay, so now we understand the words and the law. What do we do with refugees in Australia? So there are only two streams in which you can become a refugee in Australia. One is called offshore protection. The story of this is pretty simple. You are a persecuted person living in your home country or a refugee camp and you apply for a humanitarian visa through an international aid organisation, say Amnesty or, or the UN. You jump on a plane and land in Australia, a full citizen. Around half of these cases are considered full refugees for which the government pays for the plane ride over, for their accommodation, etc, etc. The other half have to have somebody in Australia already there to essentially sponsor their application and fund all their travel and living expenses. And the second is onshore protection, and this is where it gets a little bit messy. So onshore, as you probably guessed, means the person wanting to become a refugee is already in Australia. Most commonly, the person's arrived by plane on a completely different visa, say like a tourist or a student. And once they've touched down, they fess up that they actually can't safely return home and they want to be a refugee. So it's a bit tricky what to do with them. And the government puts them on bridging visas, which is basically a short-term visa that lets them live in Australia while they're applying for permanent protection. So while offshore protection regards refugees, onshore protection regards asylum seekers. Yeah, because they're still in the process of becoming a a formal refugee. Exactly. In the early parts of last decade, Australia also had asylum seekers arriving by boat, hence that term boat people. Most people will probably remember that media frenzy and and a lot of politicians throwing around that term as well. And there were photos on the news every night of these rickety boats washing up on the north coast of Australia. 
Yeah, it was definitely an issue that was pushed by the media, especially in News Corp's publications, which if you've listened to our media ownership app, you would know, um, definitely push a certain agenda. And although there were significant amounts of people arriving by boat, even in the peak in the early 2010s, boat arrivals still made up less than half of all asylum seekers coming into Australia. But either way, it still became a huge political focus for both the Liberal and Labor Party, In 2013, Kevin Rudd introduced a policy that promised nobody who arrived by boat would ever settle permanently in Australia. It's a pretty harsh, I guess, condemning statement. Later in the year, Tony Abbott extended this policy under what was called the Operation Sovereign Borders. Any boats that came into Australia were to be turned back and if that wasn't possible they were sent to offshore detention centres such as those seen on Manus Island or Nauru. Yeah, we'll be covering those more specifically next week but Mm. a really important part of that I wanted to focus on is that yeah this is Labour and Liberal Party in agreement so um, yeah yeah, you know a lot of people have party divides on these moral issues or think that the Labour Party is better than the Liberal Party when it comes to human rights but It was actually Kevin Rudd that introduced this policy and completely changed the face of the situation that refugees were in in Australia. There's also some real horror stories that came out of this period, such as in 2014 when families of asylum seekers were sent back to cross over the Indian Ocean in inflatable lifeboats under Operation Sovereign Borders. And Indonesia also wasn't too happy with us continually pushing boats into their seas. Under this new policy, though, the one introduced by Kevin Rudd and then furthered by Tony Abbott, even if asylum seekers were genuine refugees, they would never have the chance to prove it, which is ironic, I guess, because boat arrivals are actually twice as likely to be found to be refugees compared to plane arrivals. Yeah, boat arrivals are usually more desperate. They have less resources um, than plane arrivals. If you've got the money to jump on a plane and get to Australia, you're clearly in a little bit better of a position. Yeah, it makes sense. But I digress. Um, To make matters even more confusing, this new law on boat arrivals applied to anybody that arrived from 2012 onwards, which meant that over 30,000 people who had arrived before the policy had even started and were currently living in Australia on these bridging visas I discussed earlier, were subject to it, which is insane. Um, They were told to apply for a different kind of visa that granted you three years in an urban area and five years in a rural area. And there are very minimal pathways through these visas to permanent protection. So it essentially means that you have no other option than to reapply every three to five years for the rest of your life and just hope you keep getting accepted. Yeah, and it's been proven to have pretty bad psychological effects because people on these visas, they have no sense of security. So they've been shown to have high levels of anxiety and depression. And the policy is intended as a deterrent. So the idea that if it is clear that asylum seekers who come by boat will never settle permanently in Australia, they'll stop coming by boat. Yeah, the policy um, definitely relies on like a word of mouth getting around that it's not worth coming to Australia. They purposely want asylum seekers to tell their friends and family back home. Yeah, don't bother. And just to put this in perspective, I'll give you a really sad but example story. So say that you arrived here in 2012 with a two-year-old kid. You get a job, find a home, settle down, etc. And in 2014, when the rules change, you're taken off your bridging visa, granted a three-year one. 
By now, you enroll your child in school, you've had a promotion at work. In 2017, you reapply, you're accepted, you attend your child's soccer matches, etc., hang out with all the other parents, you know, things that you do. And in 2020, you reapply and you're rejected. After living here for years and years, you're forced to pick up, leave your life, bring your son who only speaks English back to a war-torn country where you have no family, no connections and no life. And this might seem a little bit dramatic, but this genuinely happens and I've seen it happen just to put it into a little bit of perspective. And going back to what we discussed earlier about the Refugee Convention and the international laws around refugees, if you didn't pick up on it already, by turning boats away and not offering permanent protection, Australia's asylum seeker policy is most definitely breaking those laws. We definitely are. And with international laws, it's a little bit tricky because we're, even though we're technically supposed to abide by them, the only way you get in trouble if you break them is if other countries um, put sanctions on you, which means yeah. they don't trade with you, they won't do any sort of financial commerce with you. Yeah. And unfortunately, Australia is very popular in the global economic community, <laughs> so we can kind of get away with it, even though it's a massive violation of international law. Yeah, so I guess there's no direct governance to, to make us abide by the laws, which is unfortunate. Okay, so for our final segment, we're going to do a little game of true or false since I have Vanessa here, who's definitely the expert on this topic. So I'll make a statement and Vanessa will respond to whether it's true or not. So you ready? I'm ready. Born ready. Okay. (laughs) First statement is, in quotation marks, Australia is being flooded with asylum seekers. False. (laughs) So a lot of people are under the impression that we have hordes of asylum seekers trying to enter Australia and the economy wouldn't be able to cope with them. But this is not at all true. Um, From 2018 to 19, we took in a bit over 18,000 refugees. So that's less than 1% of our population. And if you compare this to countries such as Lebanon, who took in over a million refugees, which is around 14% of their population, you can clearly see it's not even comparable. And Australia is 760 times the size of Lebanon in terms of <laughs> land, <laughs> um, even compared to ally countries such as the US and other European nations. Um, we receive a lot less asylum seekers. If you look at the price of flights from conflict zones across Asia and Africa to Australia and even the distances it takes to cover by boat, um, that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. Second statement, asylum seekers pose a big terrorism risk to Australia. False. Um, (laughs) Asylum seekers statistically are no more of a terrorist threat than any other person travelling into Australia. Um, If anything, they're subject to so many background and security checks. They go through a bunch of international organisations. And the Refugee Convention clearly states that if you have committed a serious crime, all your rights as a refugee are revoked. Um, That being said, there have been instances where refugees who have arrived as children have committed terrorist attacks later in life. But, I mean, that's up to the listener if they think that that's relevant. Yeah, it's no different than, like you said, anyone else arriving to Australia and then deciding to do something like that later on in life. And our final statement, asylum seekers live on Centrelink and are a drain on the Australian economy. 
this is my favorite and least favorite simultaneously. And I hate to sound like a broken record, but that's absolutely false. Um, Asylum seekers actually have access to fewer benefits than other Australians. Mm -hmm. Um, It all depends on what visa they're on, but a huge chunk don't even have working rights or access to Centrelink. So they rely on charities 100% to pay their rent and give them food. Um, For those that can access benefits is 89% of the normal Centrelink rate. And that's why we have organisations like the Asylum Seeker Resource Centre to help these refugees who have no access to benefits. Exactly. And these are people that really want to work, but they're legally yes. not allowed to, but they also yes. can't get Centrelink. So it doesn't make a lot of and sense. And like, like they never had these benefits in their home country as well. So it's like they want to be of benefit to Australia. They want to be, you know, a meaningful member in society. It's, it's nuts to think that so many people look down upon them. Exactly. They just need the opportunity, which segues into what I'm about to say, mm-hmm. um, that in terms of being a drain on the economy, there was a really great study done by the University of Adelaide, which concluded that refugees in Australia actually help meet labour shortages and are likely to start up new businesses and volunteer in the community. They're particularly good for regional economies um, because a lot of regional economies are dying, young people move to the cities, they need to be revived. And this is actually a fact that the Liberal Party is very aware of, and that's why they implemented the five-year visas in rural areas opposed to three-year visas in cities. Right. Okay, so we've broken down all the key definitions. We've debunked some myths. Um, Now it's time for our recommendation. So, Vanessa, what have you got for me and our listeners today? I've got an episode of one of my favorite shows ever. It's called You Can't Ask That on the ABC. And basically what they do is they just ask different groups of people questions that, as you can guess from the title, you usually can't ask. Um, Or inappropriate to ask. Yeah, inappropriate to ask. Exactly. Um, And yeah, this is obviously the one on refugees. So it asks all sorts of inappropriate questions, the ones that you're probably thinking and you want to be answered. So definitely recommend you watch that episode and every other episode that they've produced. Yeah, yeah, it's great. I'm going to recommend an article about a town called Nil in Western Victoria, like many places in rural Australia, it was becoming a bit of a ghost town until a bunch of Burmese refugees came in and they boosted the economy. So it's quite a heartwarming story and it just goes to prove that they refugees want to contribute to our society and they want to make a difference. So we'll leave those in the show notes for you to check out later. And that's it from us today. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Be sure to tune in next week for the second part of this series when we talk about the issue of offshore detention and and what's currently being spoken about in the media. Yeah, next week's will definitely involve a little bit more drama. Yeah. Um, But in the meantime, follow us for more short, sweet and simple Aussie content on Instagram and TikTok at Australia Explained Pod. All the info is in the show notes for you to check out. See you next week. Bye. Bye.